0: Well, good uh, evening, friends. We're going to uh, look at our first Bible reading. Our first one tonight is from uh, Philippians chapter 4, uh, verses 1 to 7. So, in the Pew Bibles, that's on page 1140. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I plead with Eudea and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, Lord yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice that your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, With thanksgiving present your requests to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. That's our first reading.
1: The second reading tonight is from Matthew chapter 6 verses 25 to 34. Actually I haven't got a pew Bible with me to know what number it's on. Um, it's headed do not worry therefore I tell you do not worry about your life what you will eat or drink or about your body what you will wear is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes look at the birds of the air they do not sow or reap or store away in barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you that even that not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these.' but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Alright friends, well tonight we're going to look at this um, this topic as has already been explained On worry well let me begin by asking the question you got your outlines as well perhaps uh, there are outlines available what's your biggest worry or anxiety in life what's the thing that you dread the most in your life when you get up in the morning perhaps what's the biggest worry you have or perhaps when you get back go to bed Do you carry your worries to bed and you can't sleep and you're struggling through the whole night and wondering, well, what's going to become of this in my life? Now, I just checked online as to what are the biggest concerns our worries in life, the 20 things we worry about most and how to cope with them. Now, I'm not going to read all 20 for you this evening, but let me highlight some of them. Well, believe it or not, the 20 biggest worries, as voted by 2,000 participants, goes like this. It's about my stomach. Am I being overweight? That's a big worry for some people. Getting old, in general, worry. Others are worried about their savings, and their financial future. Another worry for people is about their overall fitness. Are they really fit? Others, about their low energy levels in life. Others get worried about their credit card debt, paying rent, paying your mortgage, about your job security. People worry about their diet. Hmm. Others worry about keeping the house clean. Well, any, anybody worry about that? No? (laughs) All right. Okay, I see one hand going up to him. That's good. Okay, I'm sure his bedroom must be very nice, pick and span. Okay, well, others are worried about a new job. Others about wrinkling, getting wrinkles, sorry, or aging. Right? Are you getting wrinkles around your face? They're worrying. Worry about your physique, meeting our work targets about our partners, future partners, Well, whatever it might be, we get worried about life, don't we? Worried about exams. How will I do it? will I do well with my exams? And as we go through life, uh, we can become anxious about many things in life. I'm sure all of us worry about things in our lives, right? Is that I mean unless you're superhuman? I don't know, but I'm sure we worry about things in life. Right? And as we go through life, we become anxious. Sometimes we get worried over small things as well. And so the question for us is, how do we cope with worry? Now, someone has said that uh, said this about worry. Worry is something like this. It's, you see that? It's a rocking chair. Worry is like a rocking chair. It's always in motion but it never gets you anywhere. I thought that's a pretty good uh, illustration, right? It's like a rocking chair. It's always in motion, but never gets you anywhere. So why do we struggle with it? And what good does it do? So the question is, do we worry a lot, or should we stress less? Well, our world, friends, is paralyzed, I think, by fear and worry. We live in a world that is so stressed out, that there is so much a medication today to bring your stress levels down, right? And the, the advertising industry is pushing it hard to take this tablet and that tablet so that your stress levels will come down and you'll be able to cope well with life. And we will think about living in Australia, what are some of the things that we need to worry about in this country? I mean, we've got everything around us, essentially, aren't we? I mean, we are so blessed in this land, and yet, it seems that we get worried about lots of things in this country. It is, uh, in his book, uh, t- which is titled, How to Win Over Worry, uh, Hedman Haggai, he-, he says this, died of worry could be written factually on many tombstones. <laughs> right? I hope it will not be written on our tombstones. Died of stress or died of worry. <laughs> right? And so tonight, as we continue our series on the Sermon on the Mount. And as we come to our text this evening, which is Matthew chapter 6, 25 to 34, I'm going to look at this passage within the context of the Sermon on the Mount. And to understand this passage, let me very briefly recap our study of the Sermon on the Mount so far. We see that the power of the gospel in saving and changing life in the first section of the, of the Sermon on the Mount called the Beatitudes. And then we have the call of the gospel to our, of, uh, for our ministry for Christ in this world, By being both the salt and light in this world. This is the second section. And we are today in the third section where Jesus tells us how the law of God works with the gospel. And what it means to love God with all your heart, soul and mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he does this by showing us how we should live in this world. He speaks about things like relationships. He says, he talks about the sanctity of life. Do not murder. He talks about do not committing adultery, that is sex within marriage. It deals with the topic of divorce. He talks about do not make promises, do not make promises, that is the sanctity of truth. That's an important thing. He talks about genuine relationships, what we might call redemptive relationships, and he wants our righteousness to exceed that of the Pharisees and righteous living. And Ian Jones uh, spoke about that uh, a few weeks ago, on righteous living and what that means for us. And so I must say this tonight, that is that I must mention that this is not what you do to become a Christian. Jesus is talking to those who have been blessed, those who have been saved, and those who understand what it means to follow Christ. And so a challenge for us is, How do we live this Sermon on the Mount? And within this context here, Jesus talks about hypocrisy. He says, first, don't do mercy ministry to to be noticed by others so that you're drawing attention to yourself so that everyone will say, oh, what a good person you are. You've given so much for this organization, that organization. You did a good work. Second, don't do your prayers to show everyone else that you're such a prayerful person you, you don't see any pillars or, uh, and you, you kind of walk into the wall because you're in such a prayer mood. And everyone else sees that and thinks, wow, man, that person is so prayerful. I can't get close to him or her. Thirdly, don't do fasting. That is, if you're fasting, don't go around saying to everyone else, well, I've been fasting today. and you see it on my face. It's a terrible thing, so. You see what I'm saying? It's drawing attention to ourselves. So, Jesus deals with mercy, deals with prayer, deals with with, with fasting. And as we look at our text tonight, which is Matthew chapter 6, as I've already said, Jesus is teaching us to trust God to provide for us, and he deals with the subject of worry. Right? And so, we have this in our passage here, three therefores, if you look carefully in the passage. There's a therefore that comes in, in verse 25, There's a therefore that comes in verse 31, and there's a therefore that comes in verse 34. And uh, so let's look at this first section, this first one of this therefore. With the first therefore, which is in verse 25, we are immediately connected straight away with what has been said in verse 24 and the previous section. And what does verse 24 read? It reads this. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, Or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So Jesus uses the issue of money, I think, within the context to closely connect this subject of worry. You see, money is both a blessing and also a challenge. Right? It's a blessing and a challenge. Money, as we know, can be transacted in various ways. You can do it by a credit card. You don't see the cash change in hands. You give their, your credit card number and the money goes. Whoosh. That's it. And you get the bill and you get the bank statement later on. Wow, man, my credit card. Did I pay that? I didn't see the dollars pass in my hands. They went through your card. Right. And very soon you see the bills that comes in the interest rates and everything else. It might we might do cash transactions. It's quite interesting now when we do work, when you have to pay people uh, who do work for you, they might say, oh, you pay me in cash, I don't know, what about GST? What do you do with that? Do you say, all right? Or do you say, no, give me a receipt and I'll pay you the proper amount? (laughs) That's a question for you to think about. We might do checks. We might do bank transfers. Whatever it is, it's still money. Now, there is nothing wrong with money. We need money to live, right? Yeah? You're not sure? Okay. (laughs) We need money to live. Next time, if you're not really sure, you just go to the supermarket and buy your stuff and say, well, see you later. (laughs) You might be in trouble. We need money to live. There is nothing wrong in having money. There is nothing wrong. I must say this very clearly. There is nothing wrong in being wealthy. It is not a sin to be rich. Right? It is not a sin to have a nice property. Or to drive any car that you wish to drive. If you want to drive a Maserati, that's up to you. Right? It is a matter between you and the Lord. It's not a matter for me to judge you, what you do with your money. I want to make this very clear. The gospel has set us free. And we must be careful not to judge other Christians by what they own. Or for example, the car they drive. I was speaking to a minister friend a few months ago. And he had bought a new car. And the car was parked in the minister's car park and a lady came up to her and uh, came up to him and said oh i see that you bought a new car and he turned around and said yes because i tied the lord has blessed me and so i bought the car very oh anyway that's not maybe not the ideal response but anyway that was his response okay so if you see a, a new maserati parked in the minister's car park don't come and ask me why the point is, friends, the point is this, right? It is not a sin for you to have a, a property. It's not a, I, think, I think it's a dangerous thing if, if we go too much into that because we can, we can get into a dangerous form of pietism or socialism, which is against the accumulation of wealth. Everything, I must say this, everything we have as Christians belong to the Lord. And having said this, We must take note of the warning that the Bible gives us about money. And that is very clear in the scriptures, right? It says this, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from this faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So it's the love of money. Notice that it is the love of money that is the root of all evil. Our wealth, our money becomes a problem only when we start to worship it. When we start to put all our efforts into it. And if our money is our God, then we might feel completely worthless until we get it. And you'll be living the rest of your life worrying all the time as to how I'm going to make more money and more money and more and more and more. And it becomes a problem only when we are so driven by it that we lose sight of investing our lives as Christians in this world. It's a balanced lifestyle, isn't it? And so Timothy says this, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Do you believe that? That God provides us richly with everything to enjoy. Our God is a good God. He gives good gifts to his people. And we need to be generous with those gifts that God has given us. No wonder Jesus says, my dear friends, that you cannot serve both God and money. Because if your money becomes your God, then you've set God aside. And so we have a choice. We have, an alt- we have two alternatives that's set before us. God or Money And so if we only live for money, then we have lost the, 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 the point, haven't we? And so in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25, this is, the, the text says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on is not life more than body. Um, sorry, more than food and the body more than clothing. Now, see, the, 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 the original word that is used here is the word translated anxious or worry. And it may also refer to genuine concerns or cares. It has a combination of two words, which means it's a combination of the mind and a, and a, and a, div, a division of the mind. It means kind of a divided mind, it means an unsettled mind. It means an anxious mind, a worried mind, an uneasy mind, a troubled mind. And one cannot live life like that always, can you? Because worry, if not not handled properly, can emotionally and psychologically cripple a person. It can cripple you. Therefore, Jesus says, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, about food, what you will eat about what you will drink, your body, clothing. Now, when I was preparing this text, I asked myself the question, what is Jesus driving here? What is he actually saying? Is he saying that we should not care about our lives, about our bodies, what we eat, drink or wear? Hold that thought for a moment, okay? Is he saying that? Surely he is not saying that we ought not to give thought to the proper care of our bodies and how we live. Life is precious. It is a gift from God. Agreed? Your life is precious. It is a gift from God. And therefore, food and drink are basic necessities for life. You guys, some of you guys went on camp. Did you eat? I, I, I heard that you, had a, you ate quite well. Right? <laughs> I mean, I missed out on that. Right, I'm sure you ate well. I'm sure the cooks in the kitchen did work hard and gave you guys good food, so you can do the what, the big race, what the amazing race, and do all those kind of things because you had food to keep you going, right? And you ate well. You put on a few kilos after the camp, no doubt about that. No, anyway, right? So our bodies, God has made us this way. We need food, we need drink to sustain our bodies. Without food and drink, we will die. Jesus is not saying to neglect our bodies. Of course not. Jesus taught the disciples how to pray in the prayer that is known as the Lord's Prayer, which we've covered already as part of this Sermon on the Mount. In the Lord's Prayer, one of the petitions of the prayer is, what is it? Give us our daily bread. Why? Because we've got to live we got to have food. This is a reference for food. And think for a moment, my dear friends, about, about food. No, no, I mean, we live in the most vibrant cities of the world, Melbourne. The great city of Melbourne. It is a city filled, absolutely filled with restaurants, and that's really great. Now, some of you know that I enjoy cooking. I find it very relaxing. I do, actually. It takes my mind to other things. And so I enjoy cooking. For example, when I plan to cook dinner, I plan the menu in the morning. And much to the amazement of my lovely wife, Rose. She thinks, Chris, you're thinking about food and planning in the morning for a night meal. Well, I plan on what I want to cook. And I have the things ready and I usually have all my ingredients in place so that I know what I'm cooking, how I'm cooking this thing and what it's going to be like after we cook. It. So I think about what meat I'm going to use. Now let me not get too carried away about food here. The point is this. There is nothing wrong with food. We have to live. right? So that's the first thing. Clothes. Now we need clothes to put on our bodies. Therefore, it is only logical that we give thought about food and clothing because they are the essentials of, to life. So Jesus is not asking us to stop working for a living. He's not saying that we should not make any provisions for the future. We need to give thought about our financial planning to save, etc., etc. But we need to also be mindful of providing for our families. In 1, 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8, it says this, If anyone does not provide food for his relatives and especially for members of his household, what's it? He has denied his faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So with life comes responsibilities. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink. Nor your body and what you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. The answer is obvious. Life is more important than food and clothing. And so to make the point, Jesus gives us three examples. In Matthew chapter 6, 26 to 30, you can see that. He gives the example of birds, flowers and grass. Now we have a little bird bath thing in the backyard of our house. And sometimes there's water in it. We're not very careful. We need to put more water there. And it's wonderful to see the birds coming there and having a sip of their water. And it's so fascinating to see these guys. They come, they're carefree, take their water, and off they go. Right? And if Toby is there, it's a big problem for the birds. The point is look at the birds. That's what, what Jesus said. They don't sow, they don't harvest anything, they don't plow the field, they don't plant seeds, they are not farmers. They simply come down, take the seeds that man has provided for them, and off they go. And the birds, as far as we know, don't go starving, as far as we know. And God provides for them, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. That's the point. And then, are you not of more value than they? The answer is clear. Of course, we are of more value than the birds, and God cares for the birds, and he cares for us. Certainly, he cares for them. We are of more value. That is very clear. And then as we look at the text also it says, And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? See, worry does not accomplish anything. You can't add a single hour to your life. And then the second example is about lilies. Why are you anxious about clothes? Consider the lilies. Right? That's what we have in our text, isn't it? Now friends, speaking of clothing. Clothes. Prime concern for many people, right? Or not? Are you into the fashion brands? Clothes. In today's world of important, first impressions count. Appearance can be either, can either, perhaps people have the perception, can either make a person or break a person. For those who want only the best, however, here is the list of the 10 top most expensive clothing brands of 2013. I'm not going to read all the descriptions of it. I don't even know some of these brands. Because I don't buy them. (laughs) I'm quite happy with other stuff. Anyway, that's Fendi, right? It's supposed to be a big brand, Fendi. I have not seen it. I must, next time I go shopping, I'm going to have a look. Then there's a brand, Guess Guess Clothing. One of the best, another great clothing. Valentino. Hmm, I don't know what that brand is. Then there's, there's Dior, Right? A French luxury goods company controlled and chaired by so and so and it's one of the best clothing in the world. Versace. I mean, that's great. I, I actually bought a shirt, a Versace shirt. Cost me how much have you taken? Come on. A lot. Cost me a lot. It's in a very precious. Actually, it cost me only $3.50 from a very special shop. Alright. Good quality shirt. Right. Then there's Amani, it's supposed to be, okay, there's Prada, I can't pronounce this other one, Dolce and Gabbana, does anyone know that? Okay, oh, wow, there's Channel anyway, Gucci, right, so all of these clothing, think about it, right, let me, let me, I mean, it's a pronunciation right, okay. Anyway, let me come back to the text. So look at the flowers, right, see how the lilies grow, as great as the clothing worn by the king would have been. Our text tells us, it was nowhere as beautiful as the shades of color found in in, in flowers. Yet, I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. He takes us right back to the Old Testament. Even Solomon could not, because God cares for the flowers. And then Jesus goes on to refer to the grass. The grass. Now, the Bible tells us this. It takes us to the Old Testament, some of these texts, these examples. All flesh is grass. And all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fade. When the, when the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. Another reference. For, as for man, his days are like grass. The fact is that God cares for the grass. And by using flowers and grass as examples, Jesus takes us back into the Old Testament. And makes the point that life is short, life is feeble, life is just like the flowers and the grass. It's withers and it's gone. So the question, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow, verse 30, is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? The point is, will not God then take care of you? What do you think? What do you think? If he can provide, look after the birds. Do you enjoy listening to the birds chirping in the morning? Tell me, yes, please. I'm sure you do, right? If you go down to a park, I really enjoy listening to the birds. It's fantastic. If he can provide for the flowers, great. Keeps the grass, that's our God. So, when we feel that God does not really care, he asked the question, O oh, you of little faith. How is your faith tonight? Right. Little or is it strong? Right. Faith not in ourselves, but in the God who made the birds, who made the flowers, made the grass, who is able to care for them, is able to care for us. Let it be a reminder to us of God's care for them and a greater care for us. If God can take care of them, will he not take care of us? And then as we move on in the passage here, We say this in the text here. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these, all these, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. He forbids us to chase after these things. Don't let these things cause you to be anxious and worried. Why? Because this is how the Gentiles live. That is, the non-Christians. They are living for this world. They are putting all their focus on this world. And they're running after these things in this world. But for us, we have a God who provides. We have a God who, in in our understanding of God, we see this all comprehensive God. Who sustains all of the world and who's able to sustain us as his people. That's what we see here. The non-Christians live like this. Their focus is on the year and the now. They will look at the birds and study them. For them, I looked at the study of birds, it's, it's called, I think, ornithology. Is that right? Right, it's, it's called the study of birds, from the Greek word ornis, meaning bird, and logos, study. So it's the study of birds. And they will study birds, and they won't sit there and say, Wow, isn't God so wonderful that he has created the birds? No, they won't be saying that. Similarly, the Gentile, the non-Christian, will visit garden shows, and look at the flowers and say to themselves, Wow, how beautiful are these flowers but they wouldn't acknowledge the God who made the flowers, would they? And what about the grass? The guy is so concerned that his lawn has to be so meticulous that starts the lawn over every Saturday and every Sunday and everything it's nothing wrong with doing your lawns, don't get me wrong, right? The point is they miss the point. As they do the lawns, that's their focus. They don't think that this grass is going to wither and go, and that's how it's going to be with my life. And then we have this third, there, therefore, that we see. You're not sleeping, right? No. <laughs> Matthew 6:34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. He's reiterating what has already been said. Jesus says that we have enough on our plate for today. Is that normal sometimes? Sometimes the worries pile up. It's huge for the day. You can't even survive the day. Why worry about tomorrow? Well, there's a word of caution here as well. This does not mean that we abuse a text like this and do nothing to care for ourselves for tomorrow. Jesus is not saying that we live a carefree life. And so, for example, you don't have to study for an upcoming exam because who cares about tomorrow? It's got enough troubles. Or to plan a budget, or to plan the next day. That's not what the text is saying here. This is irresponsible living. The point is, you understand the day, understand the worries, and you commit them to our God. So how should we live? Notice what we have in this passage. We sang the hymn, but seek you first. The kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. It's one of the first songs that I learnt. As a Christian, I went on a camp, the first camp I've ever been as a Christian, as a um, teenager, i been to church, and to Sunday school and all that kind of stuff, the first camp. And one of the songs I learned around the campfire was this one. It, the first song was, It Only Takes a Spark. you know that one? It takes the, so set the fire going. Right? Ah, man, we sang that song so many times. And the other one was, Seek You First the Kingdom of God. And that, that, that's one of the songs that I learned Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And how true is that? You know, how true is God? When we seek first the things of God, and we put God as our priority in our lives, he doesn't assure us the safe sail, sailing in this world, but certainly keeps his word. And all these things will be added unto you, because our God gives Is a giver of good things, is a generous God, is a gracious God, is a loving God, is a caring God. And sometimes we may not feel it that way, but He does. You see, what does it mean to seek the kingdom of God? One writer puts it this way it is to seek. It is to seek the king, to love him as Savior, it is to pray for it your kingdom come. It is to evangelize, to bring others into their kingdom. It is to submit to God's reign by obeying him. It is to seek the kingdom at work, in your workplace, to be a witness for Jesus. It is to have uh, an eye on social reform in the world. It is to pursue righteousness in public places. All of these things. So, seeking the kingdom does not mean that as Christians... We lack ambition in life. This would be very sad. Seeking the kingdom is positively engaging in this world, living under God's purposes in your life for his glory. The relationship with God, relationship in this world, living for his glory, seeking his priority. Are you? Am I doing that? And the promise is a fantastic promise. All these things will be added unto you. God will give you these things. Because we trust in him. So as we come to the conclusion, and you're probably thinking that's really great. (laughs) The conclusion is a long one, so don't get too excited. Now worry does not accomplish anything, does it? It does not really. You cannot add a single hour to our lives. Are we losing the war against worry? As anxiety and worry got, in, got you in a stranglehold, as it crippled your confidence, have fears and worries about tomorrow frustrated yet today. The question is, how do you handle this? In this life, worry and anxieties will be part of it, I think. It will be part of it. There will be no worries in the new heavens and the new earth. But in this world, we will. But when we are worried about something... Tonight, let me encourage you, and myself included, to trust God. For in doing so, we can put our hearts at rest. In verse 32b, God knows what we need. God knows what we need. God knows what I need and has the power to provide. Our confidence is in him because he is our God. He is the God of providence. He provides for us. Jerry Bridges defines providence as God's constant care and his absolute rule over all creation for his glory and the good of his people. So friends, let's be reminded tonight that Jesus tells us that we are of more value than the sparrow which never escapes the Lord's sight. When we are worried, how do we handle it? We can cast our anxieties on the Lord because, we memorized this text, you should know it. Cares for us. Our memory text for this month. Oh boy. You know that one. We should all know it. Right? Cast your cares on the Lord, and He will sustain you. And He will never let the righteous fall. You see, again, we cast it on the Lord. When I'm worried, I need to take it to this God, trust in this God, knowing the mercies of God clinging on to the promises of God and saying, Lord, I am looking to you to carry me through all my worries, my fears, my anxieties that doesn't make me sleep and I get up in the night. Now, I don't have a problem sleeping. I can sleep anytime, anywhere, any moment, except when I'm preaching. <laughs> no, I that. The point is this, you know, sometimes I worry about things. I, I worry, I'm a, I'm a worry. I, I really do. Uh, I, I worry about lots of things in life. Rose is very good. She brings me out of those worries. Right? I, I, I worry about this thing, that thing, lots of things. You won't, you won't suspect that, right? But, but I do, and I, I bring them to the Lord, and I, I cry out to Him because our God cares. He cares about our troubles. You know the Beatles uh, song yesterday? Yesterday, all my troubles... Seems so far away. Now it looks as though they are here to stay. Oh, I believe in yesterday, suddenly... Anyway, that's (laughs) why. You see, casting... I think it's not too bad, anyway. You see, see, casting our cares on God is the opposite of believing in yesterday. That is the solution of the world. It is no solution at all, friends. But if you are a Christian tonight, if you, if you and I have humbled ourselves before our God, then we can take comfort that we can cast our anxieties upon this God, believing in the God who holds both the present and the future in his hands. Philippians 4, the wonderful text, In everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God that passeth all understanding is yours. See, when we are gripped by fear, by worry, by anxiety, we need to pray. So, finally, God does care for us. And he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us. And in that death, he says, I care for you. In that moment when Christ hung on the cross and was crucified, God's love has come In all his grace. And says I care so much for you. That I sent my son. To die for you on the cross. So that you might know me. And what a blessing that is. And as we walk through life. God has given us his Holy Spirit. In us. And the spirit of comfort. Who is called the paraclete. The one who walks alongside us. Because he cares. So, are you worried tonight? Are you anxious? Is there something that is bothering you? Well, tonight, let me encourage you. Encourage myself to come to this God. And to know that He cares. And He cares for us so much. Let's pray.